Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Available now on DVD from Breaking Glass Pictures and Unearthed Films, the cult comedy B-movie sci-fi sensation, the masterpiece of mashup made of recycled stock and public domain footage, Sex Galaxy! 100 years in the future and sex on Earth is illegal. A crew of love-starved astronauts veer off course to a planet of beautiful alien females, well-versed in the universal language of sex. Bad-lit called Sex Galaxy absolutely hysterical. Cinema Craze says it's weird, surreal, inventive, and funny. A good friend of mine watched it and got a boner. The Sex Galaxy DVD comes packed with over 40 minutes of enticing extras, including a making-of feature and a backstage bonus biography of beautiful, bountiful starlet Puma Swede behind the booze. Check out the Sex Galaxy trailer online at YouTube and the Stag Films website. Then buy the DVD on Amazon.com and all other retail DVD outlets. Sex Galaxy! Listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. This is Lester T. Raw of the Pine Box Boys, and you are listening to the Bone Bat Show. Well, I guess my daddy knew just what I'd be. Or he gave me my first razor when I was three. He said, son, if you're a coward, you can stab your way to power, but I'll cut you if you turn your back on me. Stab once. Wave it around, stab thrice. It's the answer to the question in my ear. Stab once. With a heart as cold as ice and a little boy's giving me ideas. You know I wanted something pretty for my wife. Judge frowned and sentenced me to life Cause they found me in the cold With all my stolen gold And the steam coming off my bloody knife Stab once Waving around, stab thrice It's the answer to the question in my ear Stab once With a heart as cold as ice And her little boys give me ideas Get on it, possum Hey everybody, welcome to episode 50 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. We've got a guest. You got a, you got a guest tonight? We've got a Can guest tonight. The illustrious. I'm the... a little, wait a minute, I'm a little weirded out by this. I don't yes? quite understand how this happened. Why Why are we having Louis Farrakhan on the show? Well, it was something about he was going to enlighten us. I'm feeling a little too enlightened as it is. Do we have some other Lewis on the show? I think you spelled that wrong. So who we have with us tonight is the scourge of the Fort Collins airwaves, the future outlaw children's music star, Lewis Fowler. How you doing, sir? Hello, crackers. 
<laughs> Welcome That's, to the Bone Bad Show, man. It's good to have you. Thank you for having me and let I'm, me spread my message of hate. I'm a big fan of the damaged hearing. Thank you. I'm a big fan of the Bone Bat. Mostly the bone, not so much the bat. Come on. There's a lot to be said for the bat. <laughs> oh, there is. It's just not that good. I also uh, have enjoyed your work uh, as the other, other, other guy on Bloody Good Horror. Oh, thank you very much. They're, they have like a cast of thousands over there now, don't they? They do. It's very easy to get uh, lost in the mire. But, you know, that's why if I just keep on doing my extremist BS, I'll get noticed uh, above everyone else. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us. We've also got the music of the Pine Box Boys from the Bay Area in California. Their own brand of Death Bluegrass, I guess it's called. So we'll be enjoying that throughout the evening. Uh, we opened with the song Stab, and uh, we will have an interview a little bit later with Lester T. Raw. So I hope you enjoy the music. Right on. So we're going to just go right into what pisses us off. We could do that. All right. You know what pisses me off? What pisses you off? I see this all the time. People walking around, alleged medical professionals, I'm assuming, walking around in public, going about their daily mundane lives, wearing their scrubs, wearing, you know, that that surgical gear costume thing that they wear. It's like matching pants and, and smock, which they wear and allegedly to keep everything real clean. Because when you go to the doctor, you don't want the filth of the hoi polloi on you. Yet these guys, these these people, you see them, they're like, they're at the supermarket buying graham crackers, walking around with the, the unwashed masses, and then they go to work. Why do they do that? That pisses me off. You're supposed to be wearing clean clothes for the clean situation. Don't wear them out in public. You know, chefs, chefs have a chef uniform that they wear, similar situation. They want to stay clean when they're around the food. They have a special uniform they wear when they prepare the food. To be clean, you don't see chefs walking around in public. Like You know, I, I don't know if that's 100% true because I have seen various cooks and chefs like in the grocery store in the morning, like picking up the shit that they ran out of the day before. And so you'll see people in their like cook's whites or whatever buying lettuce and cheese and different things at the grocery store. So it, I it's, still... it's rare, but I have seen that. What's really disturbing are people you see in the grocery store or Walmart or whatever who are wearing scrubs, but obviously they look like they could never be anywhere near a medical practice. But somehow they're wearing scrubs. Like Those people are usually like store. veterinary assistants or, or nail technicians or something. At least that's what I found, tell myself. Maybe they just found some scrubs at a thrift store and had, this is comfortable. This is It's airy. It breathes. Maybe it they killed be, a doctor. Yeah. It picks some up at Value Village or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> at the dollar store, you get a pallet of scrubs. That does it does bug the shit out of me that you see people all the time now wearing like either pajamas or sweats everywhere you go. And I'm you know I'm kind of a jeans and t-shirt guy, but there is a bare minimum that I won't leave the house in. It's not, there's nothing more disturbing than seeing a grown man in pajama pants at three thirty in the afternoon at Seven Eleven, and he's wearing slippers and like a wife beater. <laughs> but you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, there was a t if you remember back, there was a time where the only people who wore sweatpants in regular society was like the grossly obese because that was all they had. But now it's like everybody just wears sweatpants or pajama bottoms like like it's regular everyday clothes. And I have a huge problem with that. 
I right. blame Run DMC. They wore sweat track outfits like it was nothing. Like it but was their business But at least they attire. looked sharp. They weren't wearing like big cotton sweats with juicy on the ass. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Run did not have juicy on the ass. No, he did not. You know, it's like I'm not. I'm not really someone who's like for rape. But if you're, uh, <laughs> that's probably good. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, you know, it's like if you're like a uh, nubile, like twenty-one-year-old woman, like walking down a dark alley, and you're wearing sweats with the uh, says "juicy" on the butt, and you get raped. I'm gonna find it hard to feel sorry for you because you are advertising. <laughs> Jesus, maybe she has diarrhea. I mean, maybe that's what she's advertising. You know, you know what though uh, about scrub? You know, you know how some uh, nurses or some doctors they wear those scrubs that you know are kind of like more childlike and friendly to make kids feel yeah uh, they got like a pattern of happy faces or balloons or something on them right what's really disturbing is whenever you see like a huge hulking like black dude at the store but he's wearing this the kid scrubs he obviously <laughs> works around children it just doesn't it seems out of place maybe he's like bubbles from uh, lilo and stitch <laughs> You know, the thing is, I just thought about this. My own doctor, my own personal medical professional, he wears, like, slacks and a shirt. He doesn't wear scrubs. <laughs> well, you had two very important words right there, medical professional. <laughs> <laughs> now, his assistant, though the person that, you know, takes your blood pressure and shakes her head sadly when you, she weighs me and stuff, she, she wears the scrubs. It's like our culture becomes, has such a level of comfortability these days that we're like nobody cares like you know people people wearing scrubs people who leave the house in pajamas and the thing that pisses me off lately is i went to barnes and noble the other day people are sitting there in the aisles sitting there on the racks and they take their shoes off they take their <laughs> the shoes they're, sitting there bare, they, they're, they're already wearing goddamn sandals they take their shoes off anyway because apparently reading you know, a copy of ad busters is so uh tiring and relaxing that you just have to take your shoes off right there in the magazine aisle and so i'm i'm there and i go to like see if there's a new whorehound magazine or whatever and the aisles are very tight very squeezed together because they put this huge bench right down the middle between the two racks and i'm a big guy already so like i kind of have to like you know do the beep 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 when i back up to make sure my ass <laughs> hit somebody's face and i step on some uh guy's uh feet you know uh, i crush his toes i'm like dude why are you take your shoes off when, so then, like, I try to back up and go, oh, I'm sorry. And I step on a woman's feet. She has her shoes off, too. They're not together. They're not related. Yet they're both, at the same time, have their shoes off. And I stepped on both their feet. You know, it's like I say I'm sorry, but I feel I, I can't feel sorry for them. Because why would you go to a business, a public place, where people gather to congregate to buy literature and take your fucking shoes off? Yeah. You know, I it's okay to it. roll up a magazine and hit them across the nose with it. When that happens. You know what's even worse, though? <laughs> When you're at the movie theater, and the and the and the people behind you take off their shoes and put their feet up on the seat next to your head, <laughs> like when the the young girls put their little gold toenail ring to feet and start rubbing them through your hair, does that bug you? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So, so I've noticed the way. Oh, well, Steve's uh, having a moment here. <laughs> so I've noticed the, the way to like make people not do that is as soon as they do that, like gently start sniffing their feet and going, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, that's they'll, they'll put their feet down and they'll move a couple of seats down. That's good. You know, my my youngest kid, barbarian child, for whatever reason, he cannot keep his shoes on in the movie theater. And inevitably, when the movie is over and we get up to go, he's like, "Oh, Dad, I lost my shoes." How? We've been sitting in the same spot for ninety <laughs> minutes. Okay, but his in all fairness, like, is he wearing real shoes or is he wearing like Crocs? 
Oh, yeah, he's wearing those little rubber pieces of crap. See, that's but, the thing. A lot of people are wearing flip-flops or wearing Crocs or wearing Birkenstocks or wearing stuff to get out of easily, I think. I'm slowly winning, I'm though. Wearing, I'm making like, more socks Yeah, I'm wearing Crocs. shoes that are tied up pretty tight. So it's – I can't even – you know, and that's a thing now. Like a lot of our friends' households, you walk in the front door, and it's like the Japanese thing where you take your shoes off at the door. And I, I didn't I didn't railed against this Japanification of our country. When did that become acceptable? <laughs> That's to the start thing. telling though. your guests to take off their clothes at the front door. That's the thing about half of the families that we socialize with. That's the rule in their house. So that's you know what I have. A, I've got a screwed up foot. I need that cushion, or my foot hurts if I'm walking around on somebody's non carpeted floor. Well, plus, plus two to go to someone's stranger's house and walk around barefoot. It's just uncomfortable to me. I just don't like it. I like the protection. I like, it's like it's like being a fat guy in a pool and you wear a t-shirt it, you know it offers you a, a semblance of protection to your body and when i'm someplace new and strange i don't want my feet left exposed and for me to walk into somebody's house and uh take my shoes off it's very unnerving to me yeah i'm, I'm kind of like that too you, you especially you know if you want to leave quickly yeah you right. cannot run away really yeah. it makes yeah, it that I, much harder to flee if, you know <laughs> It's okay if everyone wants to get naked after a couple drinks or something, but right at the front door when you start disrobing, that, that's right. just well, too far. Well, no, get naked, but leave your shoes on. I think if you ever get invited to someone's house, before you're able to say, yes, I'll come, or no, you know, they should let you know whether or not that's a practice. Because if people have told me ahead of time, that's what you need to do to get into my house, I will say, look, I'm sorry, I have a prior commitment, I can't come. That, is, that was literally a deciding factor on whether or not I want to go to your house, if I have to take my shoes off. That's good. What if you have, like, some horrifying toenail fungus or something and you don't want that out there? Exactly. I guess it's where your, it's your private. It's your privacy. It's my privates. <laughs> Let's leave my feet out. And, you know, this is funny. Coming from a guy who pretty much six, eight months out of the year walks around in nothing but a pair of shorts and a pair of sandals. But Hippie. Damn it. I want those. No, I got a haircut. <laughs> I want those sandals on. All right, so let's see. What else we got going on tonight? Uh, I got a little bit of feedback. Uh, we Give heard, us the feedback. Yeah, we heard from Gareth, our friend from uh, north of the border. He had visited Seattle last week, so uh, he just talks about that a little bit. And then he says, I'll tell you what's strange, though. After listening to you on the podcast for what seems like ages now, I really feel like I know you. Then I realize you wouldn't know me from a hole in the ground. I also feel like I can give you an honest what pisses me off. Here goes. Washington State drivers, that's what. Oh, he's right. You Washington people are really nice, pleasant individuals, yet strap a vehicle to your backsides and, hey, instant assholes. Being obvious tourists, Alberta license plates, etc., we were bound to get a little, okay, a lot, lost every once in a while. You know you'll pick the wrong lane, etc., trying to get the right lane, nobody moves for you or anything. You lot really piss me off. Give me a foreigner break, would you? Rant over. Looking forward to the show. Thanks, Gareth. He has a point, man. You, you Washington drivers are, are terrible, and you couple it with roads where exits are just randomly distributed. Oh, maybe it's on the right side. Maybe it's on the left side. I don't know. Some of them I think you have to burrow underground to get. They're just – <laughs> Yeah, that's I, – I have never gotten used to exits on the left side of the freeway. That's fucking weird. Coming yeah, from we got to you know, prove here in this country. So, exits yeah. are on the right. Damn I'm, it. I'm used to doing it the California way. But, uh, yeah – Washington drivers are kind of a different breed. They're almost like, in some ways, they're polite to a point where it's dangerous, so they'll drive slower, then they'll let people in, but they're not quite going as fast as they should sometimes. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, you all have a weird little twist on the way you drive up there. And for a place that gets as much rain as Seattle, 
how come nobody can drive when it rains? <laughs> Dude, have you been here when it snows? Oh, Insanity. God, Insanity. No. Insanity. It's like everybody forgot what that white shit is. What, what's it like in Fort Collins, Lewis? What's the driving there like? Uh, it, it's mostly bikes. Mm-hmm. Bikes rule the streets. It's a very bike-friendly community that, uh, to me, I come from Oklahoma City in Texas where, you know, everybody drives like an asshole. You get to where you're going and, you know, damn anybody that gets in your way. But uh, here the bike population is so loud and vocal that really you, you constantly have to watch your mirrors. If a cop sees you within, like, three feet of a bicyclist that you're passing, you can get, like, a $150 ticket. It's uh it's it's a lot of nonsense. So I try to stick to the side roads and I never really drive the main road just so I can stay out of the way of bicyclists cuz they kind of uh the rule of streets here and it's uh it makes it driving a real hassle. Just go to the Ranson Rave section of the Fort Collins Craigslist and you'll see a war going on between people that move here from another state complaining about the bicyclists and bicyclists talking about their critical mass movements and oh, i had a, a critical mass movement earlier <laughs> <laughs> it's really annoying to me to the point where i just hate driving because you you never know like uh what bullshit some bicyclist is gonna pull next yeah i, I think i'm gonna learn here i uh, have a, a an interesting education i'm actually riding my bike from uh seattle to portland this weekend well, aren't Seattle and Portland too very uh, bike friendly? They are, but I'm ri- uh, we're Communities. riding alongside. It's like a an organized ride along I five, the freeway, for two hundred miles. Well, so. here it's like bicyc- <laughs> bicycling isn't a uh, like a fun thing you do to get from point A to point B. People here have to politicize everything so much that uh, bicycling has become this kind of like a movement against industrialization and automobiles. So become just a real pain in the ass if you're just some regular person trying to get to your destination because it's almost like driving down the street and like you're blocked by a, a wall of protesters or something does that make sense yeah, sure. no i understand i, I had a yeah, client asked me i was biking somewhere and uh, i was talking to him on my phone on my cell phone and he's where are you so i'm riding my bike a motorcycle no bike and he goes oh is that a political thing <laughs> like, no, I'm just trying to get from point A to point B. It's fucking with Lewis. Right in front of me, waving a sign. No blood well, for I've, oil. I've become such a total asshole when I'm right when I'm driving and there's bicyclists in front of me now. I'm becoming just the world's biggest jerk. I mean, it's become such a problem. It's become such a epidemic that you don't want to leave your house anymore. You want to walk or, you know, you want to ride your own bike, but then that's giving in to them because it's a war. It's a little, it's a literal <laughs> war right now. Lewis, I have one word for you. Segway. <laughs> Start a Segway army. Yeah. That would be badass, man. You have your Segway. You're, that's the, you're rolling to the beat of your own drummer then. <laughs> Definitely. I'd rather just stay home and let people deliver things to me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, that's my whole dream to become like Howard Hughes. I already piss in jars, so that, that's one thing taken <laughs> care of. Just to never leave the house, have everything delivered to me, have all my, you know, TV screens and computers, and just everybody leaves me alone. That's my dream right there. I'm halfway there. Never clip your nails. Just, just totally. Exactly. Just leave me alone. Are you sh- clean Xboxes for shoes? <laughs> <laughs> So you, yeah, but as long as you don't have to take off those those Kleenex boxes at other people's house, you'd be all right. 
I'm gonna do that next time. Next time, uh, somebody invites me over to their house, I'm gonna wear uh, Kleenex boxes for shoes. Nice. That's a great idea. And if they say, "Oh, could you leave your shoes at the door?" I go, "Fuck you! I'm not. I don't have any shoes. <laughs> it's Kleenex boxes. I've got allergies. I might need to blow my feet." <laughs> Speaking of feedback, we've got a voicemail from our friend Vaughn at Motion Picture Massacre, so uh, let's check out what he has to say. Hey, boys, it's Vaughn. How you doing? Good? I hope so. I really do. Uh, I have a question for Gord. I want to hear his opinions on all these people freaking out about the mosques being built in their towns, mostly on the East Coast. I don't know if it's happening on the West Coast where your guys are, but around here on the East Coast, a lot of people are waking out about mosques being built. Um, especially the one that's being built close to the uh, ground zero. Um, there's another one being built, I think, in Brooklyn or Queens, where it's being built in an old convent. It's, the church needs the money, so they're selling off this old convent to sell it to a, a mosque, so they can turn it into a mosque with the town. Uh, it has a lot of Muslims in it, so they need a mosque. You know, and these people are freaking out. The latest thing I heard was that they want to do an investigation on the guys who are trying to buy building so the mosque is going to go in near the World Trade. And, you know, if they start investigating, you know, religious groups on where they're getting the money, why don't they start doing it as the Catholics and the Jews and everybody else? <laughs> you know, it's like, they want, oh, they want to build something. Let's investigate where they're getting their money. You know, I mean, it's just insane. But I would like to hear um, Gore's opinion on that. Overall, that's all I have to say. Um, great show. Happy 50th, guys. I hope uh, another thousand. Um, and I hope this... Film festival you guys do goes out like gangbusters, you know. So that's all I have to say. Vaughn is out, and I will talk to you guys another time. Goodbye. All right. Well, here's the thing. It's not a question of where the Catholic Church's money is coming from. It's a question of where it's it's going to. They're selling these buildings because they got to pay out all the victims that have come forward and like proven that the Catholic Church is systematically raping their children. So they got to sell the buildings in order to pay for that. So some other religion wants to build their place of worship there. I don't give two craps if it's the Moonies or the Muslims or a different group of Christians or, or what. What what does it matter? Yeah, it's near a place where uh, a group of uh, religious fanatic insane Muslims attacked us, but that doesn't necessarily, in my mind, say, you know, tar all Muslims with the same brush. I don't know. It's not a big deal. It's just it's just more places of that I'm not going to go anyway. So, I think that's like a question of taste, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, you can open up a mosque wherever you want, but to kind of do it where the one of the worst terrorist attacks took place seems like you're kind of doing it to get attention. It's like if I, that's like me building a strip club over the area where like Matthew Shepard was killed. You know, you just kind of like need to have an idea of how sensitive people are going to be to that. You know. Yeah. yeah, you've got a really good point. I mean, it, it is. I don't. I don't live there, so I can't tell if if this is like right on the right on it, or or if it's several blocks away and there's already a bunch of mosques and synagogues and churches and, and other things as well. New York's a crowded place with a lot of stuff nearby. But yeah, if it's if it's just to be confrontational, well, God, we got enough confrontation as it is. Just Christ, back off. Well, I only know what Glenn Beck tells me about it, so. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's completely accurate then. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know. It's what just can't people just mellow out and get along? So speaking of no, me- they can't. That's the problem. That is the problem. So I guess this segues nicely into your uh, political rant, huh, Mr. Gord? 
Yeah, gosh, you know, I'm sorry my political rant is not going to be um, charged with religious overtones. Here's the deal. Out here in California, they're talking about legalizing marijuana. And one of the arguments that's made in favor of legalizing marijuana is the tremendous tax revenue that the state would realize if they legalized it and taxed it. So the anti-legalization folks have said, hey, look, supply and demand. If you make it easy and legal for people to sell this stuff, it's going to be cheap. And your your arguments of all this tax revenue coming to the state are, are bullshit because marijuana is going to be sold a lot cheaper than it is now. And my argument is to poke holes in that argument, if you will. Here's the thing. They're saying, I don't know where they're pulling this number, who's asked they're pulling this number out of, but they, they say if we legalize it, California get $105 million a year in tax revenue. I don't know how they come to that number. But here's the thing. If they legalized it and they taxed it, you put a flat tax on it. You say it's 10 bucks for a, whatever, a carton of uh, pot cigarettes. You didn't do it on, you know, like 6.5% of the, the sales price. That would be a silly way to do it. Plus, you're going to realize a lot more savings because you're no longer paying cops to go after this nonviolent crime. You're no longer paying jails and prison guards and courts and public defenders for for dealing with incarceration of the people charged with this essentially victimless crime. And you're going to save money because you're not going to be fighting such a well-funded enemy on other fronts. The, the Mexican drug cartels that make bank by selling pot aren't going to be making it anymore. So, yeah, it's true the price would probably come down, but it's not true that we're not going to see any money by taxing it because because we would. It's That's just bullshit. I know it's a tiny, tight little political rant, but come on, man. Legalize it. Tax it. That is all. Would it really be enough to get California out of all of their financial problems, though? Oh, hell no. We would have to actually invade Mexico and then sell it to China to get us out of our financial problems. <laughs> Here in Colorado, they, uh, <laughs> they legalized medicinal marijuana. And, uh, you know, at first it seems like a really good idea, but then people get silly with it. Doctors pretty much prescribe medicinal. You can get medicinal marijuana for anything in this town. Oh, you it's the up, same way out here. Yeah, you show up with a cough and, like, you know, they will li- they will literally write you a prescription for it. So overnight, in, this, in like, Fort Collins alone, at least, like, 40 medicinal marijuana, like, shops have opened up. And they must be doing a lot of business to be able to stay open. You know, and uh, I think people are just kind of like getting silly with it and using it as an excuse to be able just to smoke marijuana. You know, like, why not just admit you like marijuana? Why do you have to go to the whole trouble to, you know, fake a injury? Yeah, I I totally agree. It's ridiculous. Uh, Same thing out here. You can get a prescription. I actually don't know from personal experience, but you can get a prescription, I think, pretty much for anything. And it's why do that? Why? Why even? you know, have that pretend medical marijuana route. Right. That's like getting Sports Illustrated because you're not man enough to get the real porn. You know, the Sports <laughs> Illustrated swimsuit issue. Just- no, that is, that's exactly what it's like. You know, it, I always hate to say in a mixed crowd, it's legalized pot because I feel like that comedian that's kind of pandering for, you know, cheers. Hey, you know, we should do legalized pot. Yeah. But I really do think of the tax, like the, if you could really tax it up, up the price quite a bit, you know, because you said ten dollars uh, for a, a carton. You said yeah. I just uh, pulled ten. that out of my ass. I don't know. You, a flat tax. I don't know what it you is. Know, if, you know, bucks. like a, 
like a, a carton of cigarettes alone right now, we're running about fifty or sixty bucks here. It may, you may, because yeah, a pack of cigarettes I know, like in New York, is like what twelve dollars. Here, no a pack shit. of cigarettes is like four or five dollars. Wow. So if you really uh, up the price of like a pack of like weed cigarettes, you probably sell it for about twenty five bucks a pop. I think it will really add up because so many people are already getting medicinal marijuana. So many people already just want to get marijuana, period. You know, they can't afford to maybe see a doctor, but they can obviously afford weed. I think that that would really actually help the uh, economy. But then again, you have the whole legislation process of like, what's the jail time if you get caught smoking and driving? You know, because it does impair your abilities when you're driving so well, they, they already have those laws those laws already exist like if you get caught driving impaired for smoking pot that law is already on the books that, and yeah. that's a separate charge from being under the influence of pot or possessing pot or transporting pot it's i think people would be astounded at how how easy it would be to make the change on top of that too i think that if like marijuana was legalized it would really lose its luster and its uh appeal it's like, it's like a, what Denmark did with pornography. When uh, In Oklahoma, hardcore pornography is uh, illegal. So we would always drive down whenever we wanted a hardcore pornography fix. We would drive down to Texas, you know, <laughs> the, the border to buy our pornography. But then, so I moved here to Colorado where you can get hardcore pornography anywhere. And it's like, I really don't want hardcore pornography anymore because I can get it now. I think it's the whole uh, sheen of being able to get what you can't get that makes it so uh, exciting you know forbidden fruit right exactly so now i've moved on to snuff <laughs> well that's that's the thing is can you get that in fort collins uh I, through clandestine uh means excellent then it becomes just a marketing issue right and you start selling weed light and weed dry <laughs> yeah you would virginia weed, slims extreme for extreme weed extreme weed yeah yeah X weed, weed. right yeah that's endless opportunities for marketing and then that weed Zima. Jesus Christ, no one smokes that shit. Mary Jane's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I might try that. If it's a little tart, I could I could go for that. Yeah, yeah a really like hot all, day. Yeah. Then all the other guys drinking uh, real weed would call you a bitch. Yeah, they would. I'm sure. I have no doubt. That's bitch drink. That's your bitch smoke. Yeah, you couldn't advertise. I mean, you can't advertise cigarettes on TV. Surely you can't. You wouldn't be able to advertise weed on TV. But and that's too bad because I think it could come up with some amazing ads. Not even during the Super Bowl. Maybe during the Super Bowl. Hell, you can write. You can advertise boner drugs. Maybe you could advertise exactly. Weed. Will weed have like their own Marlboro man? That's kind of like a hippie with dreadlocks, like camping. <laughs> It'll be like you Jim know. Brewer. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome, welcome to Flavor Country. Yeah, <laughs> and it'd just be the, this old hippie like sitting in front of a redwood. <laughs> All your counterculture heroes will get a second career. Just think of what a boon it will be to Tommy Chong's career. No kidding. Oh yeah, and wavy gravy and all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been waiting for the return of wavy gravy. Is that guy even still alive? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I got a thing against clowns. Clowns and monkeys. They both scare the shit out of me. What about monkey clowns? That would be the ultimate. That I, I would have to attack them with a machete if I ever saw one. <laughs> he carries a machete with him at all times. Just, just for that purpose, exactly. yeah. <laughs> all right, well, uh, why don't we check out another tune from the Pine Box Boys before our interview. This is from the album Stab. This tune is The Tardy Hearse. 
<laughs> yeah, I love this song. There's a tardy hearse with a body in the back, and the mourners are standing in the pouring rain. I'll make you a bed, five, I'll get you ten. That boy won't beat that light on main. Ah!
All right, we're back, and we are joined now by Lester T. Raw, the head monkey wrangler of the Pine Box Boys from San Francisco, California. How you doing, sir? Fine, and frog, sir. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bone Bash Show. Sorry, at the moment that you just said that, I managed to squirt habanero sauce all over the wall. I was <laughs> aiming at the chimichanga that I cooked, but uh, it seems as though I managed to... Uh, spice up my walls much more than the chimichanga. You know, there's a lot worse places you can spray habanero sauce, so you should be <laughs> thankful that it's the fall. <laughs> so what's kind of oh, cool what is... What was uh, the last thing you said before I started squirting habanero sauce? I, I can't even remember now. The habanero I, the habanero thing was better, frankly. So <laughs> so the, one of the cool things is we actually found out about the Pine Box Boys from one of our listeners. They emailed us a while back and said we should definitely check you out. And I did and was just immediately taken by your fantastic music. You know, first of all, I don't know which fan told you that. If you happen to know them personally, please send a, a, a personal thanks to them. That is absolutely the only reason there is a Pine Box Boys is because that there are people out there that will ask that very question. And we just did a show up in Portland that there might not have been anybody there had it not been for this this very healthy contingent from Salem that drove you know the hour and a half it took for them to get there just to come see us. That's great. And I mean, they were requested. They knew every single song. They knew the words to all of them. And that is the reason we go out there. You know, I'm not... You know, I'm not I'm not knocking like Dwight Yoakam out of a job or Trace Adkins or anybody like that, you know. <laughs> no, but keep so, trying. you know, it's it's those it's those diehard fans out there that keep us doing this. So, thank you to whoever uh, requested this. Absolutely. Well, I will pass that on. So, how did you guys get started, Lester? Well, and uh, you know, if you uh, got a chance to listen to some of the tracks, uh, the the Pine Box Boys kind of grew out of a handful of different bands. Uh, the bass player and the drummer and I had worked together in various different incarnations. And um, when we were too lazy to go down to the rehearsal space, we'd just go over to the drummer's house and I'd show him old bluegrass tunes and we'd sit there and we'd just... He'd actually throw a blanket over his drum kit and play on top of that so he was good <laughs> and quiet. And then, uh, you know, the bass player would bring his bass over and I'd have my guitar and I'd sit there and I'd show him old murder ballads that, mm -hmm. you know, my mom or my uncles or you know, it showed me when I was growing up. And uh, and then we got to thinking, well, this would be a good band. Why don't we do this, too? And that's when we called up Possum to come play banjo. And, you know, before long, more people wanted to come out and hear uh, us do the murder ballads than wanted to hear us play noisy avant-garde heavy metal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could blame them. I'm a fan of both, so. Yeah. I guess yeah, it's a win-win. <laughs> so Well, the other band, the Zagman, literally could... We could empty a club. <laughs> Actually, our, our, our saying was that if the Zagmen were playing, nobody was getting laid tonight. You know, <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty much the case. And then we started doing the, the Zagmen started doing uh, soundtracks for silent films at this little performance space in San Francisco uh, called Artist Television Access, and, and we still do them, you know, to this day. And also. Us and with, with a variety of other musicians, you know, but, uh, but still put together by us, you know, we still do these things over there. And we've done Nosferatu and uh, The Man Who Laughs and The Cabinet, Dr. Caligari, some classics like that. We went back and fixed the score to Koyana uh, Scotty. We got rid of that annoying Philip Glass score and we put on <laughs> something new. Yeah, we did that based on our nickels for notes theory. You see, 
see, because Philip Glass is a minimalist, and you only get maybe three or four notes, I think, in, in all of Koyana Scotts. I think that's all they play is about four notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we play all 12. <laughs> so and we and we play and we play them. We just mix them up too, you know. And so you get you get with us for for much less money. You get uh, you get all twelve notes. So that sounds like quite a value. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then uh, the, uh, some fellows from Arkansas uh, came out and we uh, we fixed the score to uh, well, the song remains the same. And uh, excellent. <laughs> that score needed fixing, eh? Yeah, we, we, we took care of that one. That was much better now. <laughs> oh, good. That's and, uh, and then uh, the banjo picker, uh, which this I love to point this out. My banjo picker and everybody who's listening out there who knows the Pine Box Boys knows I'm talking about Big Bad Possum Carviti, one of, one of the finest Italian banjo pickers you will ever run into. In addition to playing banjo, and what a marketable skill that is, he's also a beatboxer. <laughs> You're kidding. has a... No, I'm not kidding. And he has a wide array of uh, of old drum machines. So we also, and, and he's a DJ, so he also does like beats and breaks and DJ stuff. So we put together a very strange noisy group called the Dr. Prisoner, which um, also does uh, soundtracks over there at ATA. So that's what we're doing when we're not playing the bluegrass stuff. Okay. But it all kind of grew out of that. But the bluegrass, that was actually, for us doing murder ballads, well, that's kind of us taming it up a little bit. We're we're being normal when we do that. <laughs> so, in 2005, you put out your first album, Arkansas Killing Time, which uh, I was listening to a lot of today, and it's it seems like you've gotten punkier and more aggro as you've gone on. That you started off quiet and and scary, and it's certainly a different sort of a vibe than maybe yeah, the newer yeah. stuff, which is much yeah, more raucous. Definitely. Well, yeah, and that it just it kind of grew organically. But in the beginning, well, in the beginning, actually, if, if you'd heard the band, it really sounded very different. Uh, I, I believe I sent you a couple of um, of live tracks from uh, our uh, live series called Hooten and Hollering, which we've only made one of the Hooten and Hollering series available, Volume Two. Although there is a three and a four, and I think a five, and Volume One, which was out in very very limited supply. If you listen to one and two. There is no similarity between the bands at all, almost. And I think it's because, in the beginning, I kind of wanted us to sound sort of like like Willie Nelson's band. And I was mm-hmm. even trying to make it work on a nylon string guitar. I wasn't even playing the Martin. Oh, okay. And we just couldn't get loud enough to deal with our drummer, Uncle Dodds. <laughs> For those in, you know people who know our drummer, Uncle Dodds, know what I'm talking about. When people talk about uh, marching to the beat of a different drummer, Uncle Dodds is the drummer they're talking about. And so, you know, just to get louder, Possum got the electric banjo. That's when I, uh, you know, got a Martin, you know, and uh, we just, we got a lot louder. So, you know, and yeah, the, the first album, it's a lot more atmospheric. And that happens to be the one that Grail Marcus seemed to like the most and said some nice things about. But yeah, the beauty it doesn't of her, work necessarily live. The beauty of her face, specifically. Uh, who sings the duet with you on that? It's very haunting. That's uh, the lovely Greta, Greta Basil. She's uh, she's a local here in San Francisco. She's one of those people that uh, should not hide her talent as much as she does. Oh, no, but, amazing uh, she, on that she, track. She, she sings on that album. She's also on um, A Child of Calamity. She does a song with us there. 
Yeah, just her, her voice is chilling on that cut, so well mm-hmm. done. And, uh, yeah, I Kept Her Heart is fantastic as well. I really like that one. Thank you. That one's still in the set to this day. Uh, that you know, one of the oldest songs that we still, I mean, there's a handful of songs that we come back to from Arkansas Killing Time, but they're usually the faster numbers. Right, yeah. You play something slow and quiet and an atmospheric, and that's when people in bars go, oh, good, now we can talk. And then they get really, really loud, and you're trying to be sensitive and thoughtful and uh, and somewhat, in in our weird way, respectful of the subject matter. And uh, and people are like, so, did you see these guys last time they were here? I thought that they ought to explain the other. You know, and they just start babbling, babbling, babbling. <laughs> And I can hear them talking while I'm trying to sing. So by the time we did Stab, those were all the songs that kind of grew out of, yeah, we need more loud songs so that these people stop uh, talking while we're playing. Yeah, that's a, that's a platter that'll definitely shut some people up in a bar. Yeah, yeah. So we just, <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what we did. And pretty much if you come hear us now, we are the loudest acoustic band that you were ever going to have to face. <laughs> and, and we make a lot of noise, and, and it was always just like, okay, so you people shut up. We'll play really fast and really loud, and then when we're done, you can go back to talking again. Yeah, Stab is the song, actually, that we started the show off with. And uh, right before this interview, we uh, shared uh, Tardy Hearse with our listeners. So they're getting a little taste of that tonight. Great stuff. <laughs> Mr. Skeleton also, fantastic tune. And those are regulars in the set as well. Cool. Well, why don't we check out a new track here for a second, and then we'll come back and chat with you for another minute. So what's this one called? Throughout all of my bands, I have contributed to what I consider to be the necrophilia genre. <laughs> uh, the, uh, this is part of my necro cycle. <laughs> and uh, and there, there, there are representations from all of the different bands I've played in of this kind of stuff that I write. But this one, it's sort of like take yourself to a drive-in movie, one that your parents would have never wanted you to see, and this is called I Was a Teenage Necro. Check out the drumming from Uncle Dodds on this one. Holy shit. Hell yeah. We're gonna go to the graveyard, dig ourselves some holes. We're gonna go to the graveyard, dig ourselves some holes. We're gonna find some girls who like to rock and roll. Sing some songs, drink ourselves some wine. We're gonna sing some songs, drink ourselves some wine. We're gonna find some girls and have ourselves a time. That pretty little girl broke my heart, promised me we'd never part. Well, that promise on the track, she stole in her daddy's Cadillac. Take a sip to be brave, Jesus keeps what Jesus says, but tonight I'll dig my baby from the grave.
All right, once again, that was I Was a Teenage Necro from the Pine Box Boys. That is a cool cut, man. You should not encourage that kind of behavior. <laughs> Absolutely not. So how many tracks are in your Necro cycle so far? I haven't counted them all. I would like to do a musical someday. Yeah? Yeah, the zombie love musical. <laughs> I got a feeling that before I get around to it, somebody's going to rip off that idea. You know, but uh, but nobody's really ever treated it as a romance subject that I just, and uh, and that's because it's a very uncomfortable romance sort of subject having you know relations with dead things. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's we're like, going to go back to the dead girl argument here pretty soon. <laughs> Definitely mm-hmm. frowned upon. The, the the new Pine Box Boy album is actually sort of styled around uh, you know some of my favorite horror films you know from when I was growing up and mm-hmm. you know, big big fan of course of, of the Romero zombie films, but I really loved Return of the Living Dead. Absolutely. With the, the fabulous punk soundtrack, you know, it had TSOL on it. Had yeah, which did a Necro song, right? Uh, Code yeah. Blue. Exactly. Now, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that, uh, that film there, and so there's a lot of references to that on the next album. A number of these songs, I was a teenage Necro waltzing through the graveyard, no room left for Barbara. They're all uh, live brains. Um, these, these are all songs that are going to be on the next album. I'll come back to this this zombie romance. And uh, <laughs> That's actually one of Steve and my favorite movies. It is, yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, Lester, I'm not sure if you if you thought about this, but I don't think anybody has ever done a banjo version of the 245 Trioxin theme. You know, I don't. I bet nobody ever has, and that would be a pretty good one to do. It would be, because that's a badass song to begin with. You know, that was the, and of course, that soundtrack was the one that, you know, uh, introduced me to Rocky Erickson. Me and, too, uh, yeah. yeah. Burn, burn the flames. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, burn the flames. And because of that, that's the reason why we do, we do a bluegrass version of uh, I Walked with a Zombie. Oh, fantastic. In our, in our set. It's hard to fit in other people's songs when you're writing your own at the same time, but I really do have, I really would love to just do an entire Rocky Erickson set. I, I think there should be a good bluegrass version of Bloody Hammer, you know. So, you know, there's just uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there that, uh, you know, I would like to touch on and get there. But they all, it all kind of comes to me from the zombie films. So uh, next, I guess, CD was Child of Calamity, right? That was the third album, yep. Yeah. Now tell me about Oh Mercy, Oh Meredith. I have a... Uh, this happens a lot, actually. And it happens more times than you would think it would actually happen. Where pretty young ladies come up to me after a show and like, Lester, would you write a song about me? One in which I get killed. <laughs> and I've, got, like, all, I've, got a, I've got a book full of uh, half-written songs all about pretty little girls I met on the road that, you know, just simply asked me to kill them. You know, is their names good enough? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like it comes down to like, does the name actually work? Is your name something musical? Certain names like Beth. Well, I'm not going to do anything with that. For one, Kiss has already done it. Yeah, and, and they didn't kill her in the song. <laughs> and so they just kind of wasted that for everybody. And a name like Hortense might take me a little bit longer to work up. Names like Katie, Jessica, those are perfect. But, mm. but Meredith, she's the owner of Six Rivers Brewery up in McKinleyville, California, up in, in beautiful Humboldt County, which is known for all of their horticultural endeavors Indeed. up there. And um, 
she asked me to write a song. She's like, well, why haven't you killed me in the song yet? And I'm, for anybody up there that's hearing this, you, you guys can bear, bear this out. She, she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. And that's why it was one of those things. I was writing the song, and, you know, and I'm throwing it back and forth with my wife. I'm like, well, now how do you kill Mary? She's so pretty. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, an exit wound is just going to mess everything up. And she's like, well, why don't you strangle her? And, uh, and, and that seemed like a good idea, but then who else but Shakespeare? Willie the Shake. Uh, comes to the the rescue and brings me the answer with, you know, when you think about what uh, Othello did, and just smother her. There you go. And, and then as soon as that that clicked, then it was like, well, this is all done. And then pretty much the song wrote itself. After that, it's nothing but a series of questions. <laughs> if you listen to the whole song, it's just it's seriously. I'm just asking a series of questions, which basically ends with, you know, how will I take your life? Your neck's too pretty for my rusty knife. <laughs> That's great. And then, of course, which leads to the obvious solution, smothering. Absolutely. So now, Tales from the Emancipated Head, which mm-hmm. is coming soon. Tell us about how... Soon, soon-ish, anyway. By yeah. this fall, it'll be out before before 2010 says goodbye. Oh, there you go. All right. And so you have a lot, you say you have a lot of zombie numbers lined up in this one? Yeah, there's, there's you know, the, the whole story is... Uh, is of a poet who shares his poems with the world and, and in response they cut his head off. And the 13 songs on the album are the uh, are sort of the post, post-mortem dreams that the head has as it was rolling down the hill. Some of these are zombie <laughs> visions, some of these are things from, uh, from childhood, you know, but all this stuff comes up together and uh, it sort of mixes itself up into this album. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, Tabitha Lar, who has done the the artwork on, uh, she did the artwork for Stab, and she did the artwork for Child of Calamity. She's uh, finished the artwork for the new album, and I'm telling you, it's the, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, in a very horrifying kind of way. Does she work in woodcut, or how is she doing those? Ooh, you know, that's funny that you should ask. No, I don't really know uh, what her technique is. It is not woodcut, though. Okay. But, uh, I mean, it is. It's it sort of has that look you know, to it, yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, you know, I mean, I've got tattoo, you know, a tattoo that she designed. I mean, there's, there's, she's got this amazing line quality, you know, that just, it seems to fit everything perfectly. I gave her some ideas. I never tell her what to do when it comes to the artwork. I'm like, I'm just making suggestions. We kind of throw her a whole bunch of ideas, and then she puts them all together. Well, shoot, she pulled out the best stuff for this one right now. I mean, I think people are going to have to buy this album just so they can have a copy of Tabitha's artwork. <laughs> I don't brag on artists that easily because I, I style myself as one also, but I would never. At, at this point, you know, I did the, as the artwork for the first Pinebox Boy album, and it's not my best piece ever. And then she came and she showed me up, and I will never do another Pinebox Boy album <laughs> cover again. <laughs> it's just too good. So, so one other thing, you were also in a concert film, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. We've got uh, we've got a, a DVD out called uh, uh, "Good Evening, Folks." We are the Pine Box Boys, and directed by um, one of the fellow. He's actually he's a he's a very storied film director. Uh, the man's name is uh, Doctor Astronaut Body. And for those who really want to dig and find something out, he used to be the lead singer and keyboardist for a band called Reagan's Polyp, and then. <laughs> And their music is out there. I contributed guitar to, on a few of their albums, but not not enough that I would call myself the Reagan's Pollock guitar player. I wish 
<laughs> I could call myself the guitar player for Reagan's Polyp, but uh, that's that something really that would look good on a business card, right there. It would look great, wouldn't it? <laughs> it you would, know, yeah. guitarist for Reagan's Polyp, but, <laughs> but alas, I don't feel I don't feel qualified for that because really, their their guitar duties also fell to their their bass player Jake Rutherford, um, who's not of this planet, and uh, and so these guys, you know, they've they've kind of spread out across the country at this point. And, astronaut Bobby wound up out here in San Francisco and he's also a director and uh, you know he was like hey I want to do this film and we were like please <laughs> you know <laughs> doesn't bother us if you want to and so <clears throat> for two shows there in San Francisco he and uh, and his cameramen were crawling all over the place you know taking taking the footage and then he put the whole thing together and well you know it's uh, it's available on the website anybody interested you come to uh thepineboxboys.com which is real easy to remember there you can get you know t-shirts and cds as well as a copy of this dvd if you so desire fantastic now we talked a little bit about you know yourself possum uncle dodds but throw us a story about the bass player you know there you don't hear a lot about the bass player a lot they're always quiet so what about the colonel it's a shame you know i'll tell you the colonel himself he's 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 exactly the stereotype bass players or that is to say, you know, kind of the John Entwistle type. You know, I mean, if you watch him, he's really into it when he plays, but you can't get him to say three or four words. <laughs> so this was this was on this last leg while we were up in, uh, this happened, I guess, in Eugene, Oregon. And it's after the club's closed, the doors are shut, and there's a handful of people all sitting around the table. Mac, who runs this club up there, just took really, really, really good care of us. And there we are sitting around the table, and the current, you know, everybody's telling jokes people swapping jokes and you know half of them are jokes you heard and whatever but everybody's laughing colonel never says a word quiet 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 three four jokes go by finally after he waits until that seven minute lull happens as soon as it gets quiet he goes yeah so these uh these two whales come uh, come walking into a bar the bartender says well what can i get you guys the first whale says <laughs> and the second whale says, uh, oh, I'm sorry, my friend's been drinking. <laughs> this is weird. That's, that's my bass player's sense of humor. Besides the fact that he does genuinely believe he's from Mars, that the Apollo missions never happened, and pretty much he buys in on just about any conspiracy theory anybody has to offer. He is one of the weirdest guys you ever met. You know when they say still waters run deep? Man, they're talking about the colonel right there. <laughs> he is he is a weird one. So, yeah, you know what? He, there, there are stories about him. Half of them I can't even tell. <laughs> well, you see, <laughs> I'm glad I asked. Well, yeah, I'm glad you did, too, because he does. He gets the short script and all of this stuff. And really, he doesn't deserve it. I mean, one of the, one of the first times we had just started playing music together, uh, he was playing in this in this punk band called Riptopolis, and um, you know, I moved out to San Francisco and I tried to get some things going. Nothing really happened for a while, and I sat it out for a bit, and then I, I hooked up with these guys. They needed a guitar player, and you know, I thought, well, okay, I'll come on in, see what's going on here, and I really, really just enjoyed playing the bass player from the beginning. You know, mm. and he was such a strange dude, and he was kind of quiet and all. But I, I really liked the way he played. So anyway, we're all—I'm just getting to know these guys. We're all hanging out out at the beach. We got a bonfire going, and well, I, I assume a substance or two has been ingested. And 
has worked its way through uh, all of our bloodstreams, and you know, certain tracers and things like that are flashing about. <laughs> so we're having a wonderful, wonderful time, needless to say. And and I'm having this conversation with the bass player. Well where we're looking up at the moon and how beautiful the moon is and how particularly beautiful the moon is after that particular thing that we ingested earlier. And then, in all seriousness, the colonel just looks at me like, yeah, you know the Apollo missions never happened, right? <laughs> Man, I don't even want to go there with most people when they start talking about that. Quite frankly, I, I, you know, my daddy was a, uh, was a Navy pilot. I, I grew up believing, of course, not only in the Apollo missions, but... You know, let's face it, you know, there is not scientific evidence of, uh, of alien crafts. I'm not saying they haven't landed here or done anything or, or mutilated a cow or two. I'm just saying without evidence, don't expect me to join in, okay? <laughs> so um, so he's like, so I'm just kind of silent when he says that. He's like, well, well, you know, they got there. They just couldn't show what it was they found when they got there because they discovered signs of an ancient civilization ah. that had hollowed out the moon. And the CIA has been running operations out of there ever since. <laughs> now, this is now I'm deciding just let it go. Okay, <laughs> we're out at the beach. There are extenuating circumstances, you know. But when I found out later that no, he can be completely, completely sober and down to earth, and he will still, still put these theories forth. I was like, okay, this man <laughs> exists in a world that uh, is not entirely like mine. Well, it's good to expand horizons, correct? <laughs> oh, most definitely. You know, when it's late at night and he's driving and he is, I'll, I'll put this down, he's the best driver in the band when, when it's his turn to take over and, and take the steering wheel. He will usually do that late night drive. Mm -hmm. But if he's doing the late night drive, he has got to listen to Coast to Coast AM on the radio and listen to every single crazy person talking about Atlantis or talking about UFOs or talking about Bigfoot or talking about Carillion photography or whatever. We have to listen to that the entire time he drives. But I figure any man that drives that well and keeps us safe and keeps us alive, if he wants to listen to that, he's more than welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Well, a question we ask everybody who visits us on the Bone Bat Show, what pisses you off, Lester? <laughs> I bet I'm not going to be the only one to say this, but habanero bottles that squirt all over the walls. Man. <laughs> I got to tell you, here we are trying to start this interview, and I'm trying to be talking about my music, and I'm sitting there having to scrub the walls home before my wife gets home. <laughs> that, that, that shit pisses me off. That, of course, is, you know, BP, but uh, usually there's something fairly current in the news that has me pissed off. And I haven't gotten over BP yet. Yeah, well, I haven't gotten over Exxon yet, so <laughs> I feel your yeah, rage, exactly. Man. Good point. Brother, are you kidding me? You know the captain of that ship is sitting back and thinking, oh, fucking A. I am, <laughs> I am a footnote now. I am hardly even rememberable now, right? Yeah, that's... You know, this is it, man. He just, he's, he's, he's like, oh, yeah, and then there was that other guy. No, you know what? We should start an urban legend right here now and say that the captain of the Exxon Valdez was actually overseeing the safety of that platform. No, he's not doing that at all. This is cause for a celebration. He's having a drink. Yeah, oh, you know he is, man. He bought the finest, cheapest cigar that they had at the liquor store. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No more Swisher Sweets for him, man. <laughs> no, man. This time, he decided to go to the Masters. <laughs> all right, well, thank you very much for joining us, Lester. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. 
My pleasure. Thank you guys for talking to us. So what's this uh, last song we're going to hear off of Tales from the Emancipated Head? Yeah, this is the horror film that has not yet been made, but it is currently going on. This is based on a true story right here. This, by the way, is dedicated to our buddy Arn down in New Orleans. Yeah, this is this is a horror film about what's been done with stimulus package money. All right, the Doomer. Run like hell, here comes the Doomer. Union labor and all the little parish towns got wiped out. He did him, said he's coming. He ain't kidding. Got them jobs by underbidding. I think that was my house full And sometime if there comes another, they told us, don't worry, but all them levees look like tumors. Run like hell, here comes the doomer.
service votes for closure. He's somewhere, the Doomer Roosevelt has been forgotten way down in the land of cotton. And all that money we were promised, he got it. The Doomer got so much, it's getting moldy, just like blood, it trickles slowly. Next time, might be your house floating by. I be your house floating by. And all them levees he constructed, they're cracked, they're bleeding, rising, hadn't happened sooner. Run like hell, here comes the Doomer. Run like hell, here comes the Doomer. I'm bored. Me too. What do you want to do? I know a toast film festival. What are you, high or only seven? 35 years in the making. It's the Boneback Comedy of Horrors Film Festival. Thursday, September 2nd at the Big Picture Theater in Redmond, Washington. Two features, tons of shorts, and live music from Seattle's own Barefoot Barnacle. Hosted by Stephen Gord of The Bone Bat Show. The festival sponsored by Mac and Jack's Brewery, Flying Saucer Pizza, Scarecrow Video, Comic Stop, Games and Gizmos, GT Printing Equipment, Stalker Farms, Field of Screens, and Indie Flicks. Tickets are $24 in advance or $28 after August 13th. The big picture is a 21 and over theater. Go to www.bonehand.com to get your tickets today. This is going to be huge, just like my wiener. Totally, but dude, you know it really pisses me off. The Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Festival. You get the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. So, multimedia triage. Uh, what are you guys digging on this week? I tell you, I'm I'm digging on the new hack slash. By the time this episode comes out, the new hack slash will also be out. Yes, Mr. Seeley was kind enough to forward the second issue of my first maniac over to us, and again, a cool continuation of the story. Pretty freaking dark, and the art is uh, incredible. Yeah, the art is is really, I don't know if it's just because I'm looking at it on a computer screen. I haven't seen it printed, but it is deep, vibrant. It's very well done. And it's a cool continuation of the story. You know, she's trying to fit in. She's trying to find her place. And at the same time, she's she's trying to kill the killers. And this, she's now in a, some godforsaken corn belt town and uh, investigating what appears to be you know, the old haunted farm where there was the farmer with the farmer's daughter that he was protecting. And he took on all comers that tried to defile his, his uh, pretty daughter. And things went bad and now they're worse and, and kids are disappearing out in the corn. And it's a to be continued one, too. So uh, I don't yeah, want to really a... give give anything away. Typical Gordon review. I'm not going to tell you anything about the damn thing, except <laughs> you got you to gotta check it out. Yeah, but I, I dug it, too. And I thought it was a nice twist on that farmer's daughter thing. So. It makes me think I should have come up with a different joke for this week, but we'll talk about that. 
<laughs> Alright. What well, you know what else I'm reading? I haven't finished it yet. I'm I'm about uh, two thirds of the way through it maybe. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. So what do you think of that? Vampire Hunter actually. Oh you're um, right. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Seth, I am really Seth enjoying Graham it. Smith, correct? Yeah. Written as a, a piece of historical fiction, a present day person encounters gets a hold of all Abraham Lincoln's secret diaries and it reveals his lifelong battle against vampires from from childhood on and how so much of history that that we know the things behind the scenes where you know one of the reasons Abraham Lincoln was so against slavery is you know he'd been against vampires ever since he was a kid and the vampires had killed some of his family members but when he discovered that the slave owners the plantation owners weren't simply using humans as you know possessions to do their farm work but also to uh, to feed you know the vampires would eat these guys that buy them and eat them he, he became convinced that one of the the only way to get rid of vampires in this country was to get rid of slavery yeah and I'm, I'm digging it. it it weaves you know historical fact with uh with this whole other hidden narrative that that i'm liking what, does, what do you think you're reading it too yeah right? I'm, I'm about 100 pages in and I am kind of admiring how he did mix the true history in with kind of his the fanciful story. But in some ways, following Don Winslow and Greg Rucka and Lee Child, I've read a bunch of really great novels lately. And so the writing in this one to me seems a little lackluster in comparison to like the last five books I've read. Yeah. I, I, I'm having to work at it. You know, it, it doesn't have me gripped. Oh, see, I think it's just sort of pleasantly dry, almost as if he is a historian recounting these things. Yeah, I, but I almost I, I, I want to get back to the wraparound story. You know, the, the, the first chapter or two where it kind of oh. brings you in. That, I thought, was more interesting in a way than what I've found of the Lincoln stuff so far. So we'll see how it shakes out. But I'm kind of, I've got a mixed opinion on it. I'm not sold. Oh, I, for a minute there, I thought you were talking about the reach around story. And I... <laughs> That's <laughs> I haven't reached that chapter yet, but uh, I'd like to. A chap that chapter of your life, <laughs> <laughs> or at least this novel. You know these those these uh these cross genre historical monster are like so hit or miss. You know they're so uh, they can either be really stupid or they can be fun. I mean uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunters on my list. I've heard a couple of good things about it, but then I've read things like. Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, and he was retarded. And uh, <laughs> That looked uh, retarded. It's almost like the new uh, fiction du jour to cross-promote classics with monsters. I just finished a book I got sent to review called Paul is Undead, The British Zombie Invasion, which uh, proposes that the Beatles were zombies and intent on world domination through their music. And uh, it's a kind of fun it just really wears out its welcome very fast at 300 pages, you know, Ooh. and, and yeah, I'm a huge, good short I'm a, story. I mean, huge, yeah, exactly. It's a great short story. It doesn't have enough ideas to sustain 300 pages. I'm a huge Beatles fanatic, uh, you know, an, an obsessive. So I know like just the minutia of Beatles lore and trivia and the author, Alan Goldshear does a pretty good job of digging into the minutia but he just really doesn't have the talent to kind of put off a good zombie story. And uh, there's some throwaway stuff like Ringo's kind of like a ninja. And uh, <laughs> not much is done with that, though. And the thing that's really disappointing is uh, they have a great subplot about Mick Jagger being a zombie hunter. 
but they do not do a single thing with it and just kind of gets uh, tossed aside. And I would have rather, much rather have read, you know, Mick Jagger's Zombie Hunter as he's trying to compete with the Beatles while killing zombies. That, I felt, would have been a great book, but... Do you think you they know, were setting it, up for a sequel, or...? No, it doesn't. It's pretty uh, contained. I don't want... Uh, spoiler alert, if you're planning to read this, uh, Mick Jagger gets turned into a zombie, so... They, that's why I say they don't do anything with it. It's a wasted opportunity. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, that's too bad, because Keith Richards is a zombie. <laughs> <laughs> but can he's, the, he's nothing but dust. Can the author turn a phrase, though? Is it well-written? Well, it's written like a, a World War Z, where it's a kind of you know it's oh, like a, a social history. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it's just interviews with different people who were Got there, it. and uh, yeah, you know, it's like you he does a good job of getting the voices of uh, the way you you know you've heard the Beatles talk in interviews in movies, but like I said, it becomes repetitive because he has nothing to say about any of it. There's no it's point. Wasted to opportunity. It. Yeah, I mean, I, as I was reading the book, I was like, you know, this sucks. Because I could have totally fucking uh, ri- written my own version of this book. Because he has so many good ideas in here, but he just doesn't have the balls to carry through with them. Well, so, uh, Paula's Undead, I'm going to give it a nay. Nay! So let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, this week I, I happened to uh, w- finally get around to watching Black Dynamite. Have uh, you seen that movie? Not Love yet, in movie. the queue. That is so goddamn funny. Oh, man. I bought that on Blu-ray like the day it came out. I I laughed so hard watching that. I think that's one to add to the collection. It's just, I, I don't even really want to spoil it too much. It's kind of like, I'm going to get you, sucker if it was played more straight. Yeah. <laughs> and with even more of like a, a look at how a lot of those 70s action films were made, even more satire there. And it's just so much fun. And the, the ending of it is amazing. It just keeps going and going to these crazier set pieces. I, I mean, I was, I was laughing so hard. So you've, you've got to see it. It's so funny. It's fun. Absolutely. Streaming I, I on, absolutely intend to see that movie. Streaming on Netflix right now. You can catch it there. Or I would be fine with telling you to pick it up. It's that good. It's, right, full huh? of kung fu, it's full of kung fu treachery. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what was that line? That, that line, my other one was, you diabolical dick-shrinking motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> we got to go to Kung Fu Island. <laughs> oh, man, it's so funny, dude. You got to check it out. Oh, I, I'm, I am looking forward to that. You know what I've been wasting my time with? And I think I'm going to try to do more of these things on our show because no, no one is really doing it. I do not have an iPhone. I've got a Droid. And uh, like iPhone, there are all kinds of apps for the Droid, whatever. I don't want to be a Droid evangelist here, but one of the games I've been playing on my Droid is called Trap with an exclamation point. Great time waster. I suggest you get it. It's free. Basically, you've got balls bouncing around in a box. One of my favorite things. (laughs) And you've got to divide that box up and and start uh, capturing those balls. But and it's just a question of dragging your finger across that box and controlling your balls. So very you, you just time kind of, waster. Do you just trap. kind of jiggle them back and forth, or yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> to be fair, most boxes are traps. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't name it Snatch. Here I feel like it. such an asshole. Everybody always. I feel like so uh, out of the club. Everybody always talks about their droids and their iPhones. I don't even have a cell phone. I feel I feel like such a loser. Luddite? <laughs> Jesus. It's, it's really harming my self-esteem. <laughs> I didn't mean to make you feel bad about yourself. It's okay. 
See, I don't even know what a droid... This is the first time I've ever heard of a droid that's not from Star Wars. I don't even know what a droid is. <laughs> All right, well, you've got a picture of your basic laptop computer. You could get a Apple computer, or you could get a PC, right? You get something that runs Windows. Sure. Well, the, the iPhone is essentially running an Apple operating system, and the, the droid is running a, a system that's made by Google. It's running the, the other operating system. That's all. So, so it's a Google iPhone. It's a Google. It's a Google iPhone. Yeah. It's a guy phone. It's a, yeah. That's what it is. So you know the Apple, the iPhone. You're much more locked in. You know this is the way it is. They give you what they think you want, and with the Droid, it's much more open. You know, between all these expensive uh, cellular phones and the contracts and the monthly bills, I would just rather spend my money on hookers and blow. <laughs> There's an app for that. Find hookers and blow near me. (laughs) It's called Trap. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Interestingly enough. And you know, when I'm not playing Trap or reading Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, uh, I'm listening to music. And the latest disc I got is Tony Allen's new one called Secret Agent. And you've heard me talk about Fela Kuti before, who went from this kind of obscure guy to most Americans to having a goddamn Broadway musical written about him. But he was the founder of, of Afrobeat, and what the music he was making is what influenced people like Danny Elfman and Brian Eno and all these guys making these weird songs with all these crazy time signatures and key signatures. They were listening to to Fela Kuti and, and his group of musicians. Tony Allen was his, his right-hand man. He was the drummer, and he was the musical director of Fela Kuti's band, which was called Africa 70 from like 1968 to 1979. This guy has been putting out albums forever. He's got more than 60 albums to his name. And the new one, Secret Agent, is is pretty good. This it's got a lot of cool beats to it. It's if you like Fela Kuti's stuff, you'll like this. It doesn't quite have the bite that a Fela Kuti song has. It doesn't necessarily have that real real super catchy hook, but it's good listening to music. He goes through a a number of vocalists. There's, it's, it's kind of like listening to a Santana album. You get a lot of different vocalists singing in more than one language, depending on what song you're listening to, and you can't help but shake your ass when uh, when it comes on. So check it out. Is Rob Thomas on it? Hopefully, <laughs> I don't believe Rob Thomas is on it. No. After all, they started a music revolution. <laughs> well, I like a. I'm a pretty big fellow Cootie fan, and I have just uh, added your. Uh, Africa 70 to my list Very cool. of uh, CDs I need to buy. Cool. The, the album is Secret Agent and the uh, the artist is Tony Allen. I uh, picked up a, I got a bunch of new promos, uh, music promos in this week. I got the new Scissor Sisters album, which if you like uh, gay disco is fucking phenomenal. Steve? <laughs> I, I, saw, I, got- I saw Scissor Sisters one time on Saturday Night Live and after trying to rip uh, my eyes out with my wife's crochet hook, I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of that sort of disco in the 70s. And so now, as a retro thing, or uh, I, I don't appreciate it. I don't know. We know what blow a dude. Maybe you'll appreciate it more. That, okay. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Uh, the new MIA. Maya. Wow. Are you, fans of, you guys fans of MIA? Is, is MIA still making albums? The yeah, punk she, band? But, no, no, no. No, she's no, a rapper, the, right? Oh, oh. Sri Lankan rapper. Yeah. She was uh, on the uh, soundtrack for... Slumdog Millionaire? That's the one. Yeah. 
She had a big hit a couple of months ago with that Paper Plane song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty so good. It's, it's good. Yeah, pretty I'm, good I'm pretty insulated stuff. from all popular culture, so. <laughs> well, you, you have a droid. You, you, you know, you can be. Yeah, I'm too cool for that. You're too busy playing trap. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, MIA and Scissor Sisters. And uh, if you guys, do you guys like Italian horror soundtracks? Oh, Jesus God, here we go. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, there's this new band out from uh, Italy. They're called uh, Calibro 35. Their uh, new album, uh, uh, Ritornano Quella D. It's uh, kind of like their take on a bunch of uh, Euro crime and uh, Rizzordolani and Morricone themes. It's uh, fucking phenomenal. If you're into like uh, 70s uh, Italian soundtracks, like kind of like newer takes on them. That uh, if you can uh, find this, you might have to track it down. But uh, I got sent a copy of this to play on my show. It's it's gorgeous. It's wonderful if you love seventy soundtracks. They're cool. I'll have to check. I think that out. Steve just jizzed in his pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of seventies uh, film, Gordon and I watched Suspiria this week. <gasps> For the first time. <laughs> yeah. For, yeah. Yes. For yes. The first time. At you last. Guys are like, what, aren't you guys like uh, fifty? Yeah, yeah, we're old guys, and uh, I just and you know I had seen parts of it for years, and it's always on like the Bravo scariest moments, the scene where the the gal falls through the gla- the stained glass window. You know, there there are always scenes that you see they're very iconic, but uh, you know I had never just sat down and watched the whole thing, and it is also streaming on Netflix right now. So we finally we actually did one of those Xbox Live parties and watched it together. Which was yeah. kind of uh, that was a lot of fun to do. That was pretty. That was pretty silly. It was kind of cool, even though Steve and I are what eighty thousand miles away from each other to sit down in a theater together and watch a movie. And it's it's kind of cool. It shows like a little a bunch of seats, and your your little Xbox icon guy sits down in the seat, and then in front of that is the screen with the movie going. And it you can make your fun. guy do stupid shit like catch popcorn in his mouth. And Steve <laughs> had his guy like bend over and blow my guy at one point. <laughs> I kept trying to figure out how to cut a hole in the in my virtual popcorn box, but I, I don't know. But yeah, so Suspiria. So Dario Argento, uh, some people consider it one of the most frightening horror movies of all time. Other folks consider it an absolute pile of crap. Uh, Gord, where did you stand on the film? Uh, much more close to the absolute pile of crap end of things. <laughs> <laughs> I really, what the hell was that movie? She's running down the hall and then you see, I, opens the door. And, oh, my God, there's a scary light in that room. So I'm going to run into some other room. I, what? What the I fuck? I loved the running down creepily lighted halls with loud glaring music from Goblin. I thought that was totally effective. I the liked music that was kind of cool because it liked was so the music. unusual. But... I liked, I mean, the dialogue had that weird kind of, you know, 70s, maybe Italian dubbed into English or not your first language. There was that whole thing. And listening to the word occult butchered. <laughs> yes, the occult. <laughs> upwards of like 20 times. I haven't heard a, a word mispronounced that much since what? Since you tried to pronounce homage. <laughs> But yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I I liked, you know, the fairy tale kind of fever dream thing. I thought the end was absolutely creepy with the smiling chick with knives. Uh, Smiling chicks with knives fuck me up. Uh, Smiling chick with knives. Have you ever seen the the Black Hole Sun video by Soundgarden? The chick with the knife and the fish is on the counter breathing and she's coming after (laughs) it. And and her smile gets wider. 
gives me the willies. And the chick in Suspiria did the same thing. So you know, it, watching this movie was just like when I watched Phantasm. I, everyone was like, oh, God, it's a great. You got to see this movie. It's so scary. You know, watch it. And you go, what the fuck did I just see? <laughs> well, it's just, you got to understand, movies like Suspiria and Phantasm, they're really not like linear movies. They're just more like, you know, a whole, it's nothing more than like a reason to put different baffling images on the screen you know, to disturb you. And that's why I think Suspiria is so awesome because it literally is like a dream. It's not like a real movie. It's it's uh, it's a, just a series of disconnected uh, images meant to bother you. And uh, that's why I think it's such a beautiful movie. It's like a literal dream, but uh, celluloid. I did like the part where the guy's seen eye dog takes out <laughs> his own throat. But so I take it since you guys have seen uh, just seen Suspiria for, for the first time, you haven't seen Inferno or Mother of Tears. No, I haven't seen the next two. Each movie gets more and more bizarre. Inferno just doesn't seem like a movie at all. It seems Inferno is if, if you if you hated Suspiria, you'll probably hate Inferno even more. And then uh, Mother of Tears was just people hated. Yeah, it got reviled just generally in the horror community, did it not? But I fucking loved it. I thought it was just such an incredibly uh, awesome movie for Argento to uh, to make. It's he takes all the aspects of Suspiria and inferno but he like makes him into like a really cheap b movie that i thought just uh was pretty ballsy of him and i really highly recommend you guys check out inferno and uh mother of tears and then i think once you see all of them you might put suspiria into better context as a whole instead of just taking them separately if that makes sense well it has yeah, maybe so maybe i needed context because there are there are people that are very very into italian horror like vaughn like steve that, that know a lot about it, and, and they call it an art form, but I don't know. I, I looked at that and went, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm of that camp. I think I think uh, Italian horror is very much a art form that's pretty, you know, incomparable to... Maybe, maybe the only other people that can do a good dreamlike uh, horror film would probably have to be Japan. That was going to say, not even a horror movie, but Kurosawa's Dreams is like, you know, the same sort of surreal, different chapters and that dreamlike quality so well you know the thing about uh surreal surreal images in a film always bother me more than like you could have the goriest beheading or stabbing but those really don't affect me the way just something bizarre and out of place does mm -hmm. like a uh, lost highway for example you know yeah. just kind of like the, the whole unsettling unnerving flow that always bothers me more than anything grotesque you can put on the screen because it just doesn't seem right it seems like you're watching something you're not supposed to be watching yeah and that's how i felt with suspiria i feel like i'm not supposed to be watching this like i'm intruding in someone's head yeah well and i also liked though there, there was like a scene where jessica harper is it she's running in front of the trees and the lights or or no no, no it was the the woman who was leaving the school at the start She's running yeah. through the trees, and it looks like Little Red Riding Hood. There was very much sort of a fairy tale aspect that almost reached back to your childhood in, yeah. in, in certain parts of that film. It didn't make sense, but it kind of it reached you in, a, in a, a different sort of a way than most horror movies would. No, so it reached back to my childhood, no doubt. The, the part of my childhood it reached to was <laughs> me, like, up after my parents have gone to bed, watching Showtime, watching some goddamn incomprehensible, terrible horror movie, hoping to see some boobies at some point. <laughs> but, you know, let me tell you something. I did that exact same thing 
when I was a kid, I would like, uh, you know, not with cable, but like two in the morning. You remember like back in the day when they had UHF channels? Sure, yeah. And like uh, they weren't like, you know, the WB. They were independent stations that would just show weird cheap movies from the 70s at like two in the morning. I remember getting up one morning and uh, couldn't sleep. And so I watched uh, this movie called Alice Sweet Alice. You guys ever seen that? I haven't seen that one. No. It's like Brooke Shields' first movie. It's a religious type slasher movie. But movies like that, when when you're young and you can't really comprehend what's going on, and it's two in the morning and it's dark, and, uh, you know, you've just woken up, I really feel like those are like the movies that will always stick with me and scare me more than anything I could ever watch now. Yeah, there's probably some to that, definitely. Irrational fears or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're a kid and you think like maybe you're sitting in a chair and you think something's lurking behind the chair because you have this unnerving uh, sense of dread where you're wa- what you're watching, but you're too afraid to turn it off, you know? Well, that's something with kids. Like, my kids to this day will come in and, you know, my, my daughter's in the bathroom. My son will say, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. Well, use our bathroom. Well, it's scary in there. You know, and I, I don't feel like any part of my house is scary. Yeah, but, but you left still, that floater in the toilet. But still, my son <laughs> wants me to, you know, walk in and turn on the light to the other bathroom in the house. Well, and so that, that kind of reaches. You that drifter live in your bathtub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's There that's is that, scary. but still, you know, it's just, it's kind of an interesting thing. I know, so, you know, it's like, even as a grown man, sometimes uh, if the house is dark, I do get that weird sense of dread where I feel someone's watching me, so I might walk a little bit faster to turn the light on. Even as a grown man, I still feel that way. And I have a lot of hair on my balls, so. <laughs> I'm just desperately trying not to, you know, kick some piece of furniture and break a toe. That's so I, I move fairly slowly. So you guys aren't afraid of, like, ever getting raped? Well, Gordon's in California, so <laughs> the, the problem is less than it might be if we actually live close to each other. <laughs> you were asking for it. I'm just so afraid that any moment a rapist will pop out from behind the curtains and rape my beautiful body. <laughs> Well, as long as you don't wear those juicy sweats, you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Give up the juicies. <laughs> All right. So before we move on, Vaughn fired in with his thoughts on Suspiria as well. So here they are. Steve, Gord, here you're talking about uh, Suspiria on your 50th. Uh, happy 50th, by the way. It'll take you another like six or seven years to get to 100. And probably the way you guys are doing it probably be a little less because it seems like you're putting shows out all the time. Just ask. Awesome. Anyway. You're talking about Suspiria. Film written and directed by Dorio Argento, also co-written by his then-girlfriend Doria Nicolodi, the mother of his daughter, his very beautiful daughter, Aja Argento. Now, for the longest time, when I was when I was growing up and getting into Italian horror, the three films that people told me to see constantly were City Living Dead, Zombie 2, and Suspiria. I saw City Living Dead and Zombie 2, and they completely turned me into a Fulci convert. After the first seeing them, you know, first shot, automatic. Argento, though, seeing Suspiria kind of soured me on seeing his work. I couldn't find this film for the longest time on VHS when I originally was trying to hunt it down. This is before DVD started out. Um, and the one I was able to find, I bought it on through eBay, actually. I think I got gypped, too, on the price. Um, and I don't have that VHS anymore. But I do remember the tagline on the box. Well, the tagline was this. The only thing more terrifying than the last ten minutes of the film are the first ninety. And when you watch the version that I had, it was only 92 minutes, so the tagline was completely irrelevant. (laughs) 
Suspiria Star is one of my favorite childhood crushes, my teen crushes, uh, Jessica Harper, who would do much better films, um, preferably Stardust Memories, a Woody Allen film, really cool kind of film, um, Phantom of the Paradise, really cool rock opera that you should really check out. Oh, and she was in the sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show called Shock Treatment, another really interesting um, rock opera. Two of those films, Phantom of the Paradise, actually all three, even the Woody Allen film, um, Stardust Memories, are all underrated classics that if you are if you really like your performance in this film, you should really go out and check out. But poor Mrs. Harper is Susie, a young American girl who comes to this ballet school in fucking God knows where, Italy, and is a witness to a woman screaming out loud running through the woods to a friend's house who was lately brutally murdered by an unknown assailant. An opening scene that is fantastic and kind of reminds me of why I was kind of really annoyed by the rest of the film. <laughs> yes, the soundtrack that Goblin puts in it is phenomenal. It's loud and obnoxious and psychotic and, and it really works on what it's trying to do with this kind of spiritual ghostly kind of apparition almost it's like almost its own thing in the background you can tell that some of the people may be hearing the soundtrack playing as they're being attacked and mauled and fucking you know but it's the story makes no fucking sense it it reminds me that uh, Argento was writing other giallos at the time doing giallos at the time and he was like you know he gave the script to Nickelodeon, she said, "Oh, why don't you just do like a, a witch thing to it instead of you know make it a spiritual national type of giallo with witches?" And he was like, "Yeah, that sounds great, beautiful. Let's have a daughter, you know, and, po- and Porter." And they had a beautiful girl. I mean, if you if you've ever seen Dario Nickelodeon, she's a beautiful woman, right? I mean, I don't know how she got with fucking Argento. Argento's a very scary looking dude. Um, he actually. It, the housekeeper in the t- in the film, the, the very ugly looking housekeeper, is kind of like almost like a deformed, lurch looking motherfucker. Kind of reminding me of Argento. And people, actually, some people I knew used to tell me that was Argento. He was just playing a role in the film. <laughs> and I was like, no, that can't be. You know. And I look at this. You know, on his IMDb, the last film before this, Deep Red, which I find is one of his phenomenal uh, Jello films, is fantastic. In all honesty, I don't like Suspiria. I think it's an overrated, overhyped film. It is overrated in many ways, because a lot of people kind of stay that it's Argento's masterpiece. Anything he did after this was crap. Anything he did before this was okay. And it's like, are you kidding? Really? He's done a lot of other great films. Inferno, the follow-up to this film, which is considered the second in the trilogy of The Three Mothers, um, is a much better film. (laughs) His his film Phenomena, a.k.a. Creepers, is a much better film. Tenebrae is a much better film. Uh, it's bizarre what this film gets away with. I mean, like, there's there's one there's one scene in this film where where a girl is being chased by an appara- by some kind of unseen assailant. She locks herself in a room, and the, the assailant is trying to open it with a, this latch with a straight razor. And she puts all these boxes together, and she climbs into a window. And she gets. In, she looks in the window. And she sees the door, and she goes, "Okay, I can get to the door." She climbs on the box in the other window. She sees the door, and then as she tries to climb, jump over, she falls into a vat of razor wire. And you're like, "Why didn't you look down?" <laughs> the whole floor is covered in razor wire. It's completely like, what the fuck? Like a, a thing that Stephen has said: "Pants on head, stupid." And there's so many little things in the film. We're just like, "What the fuck?" 
really long periods of scenes of just ballet. And I can understand they're trying to do that because they're supposed to be in a ballet academy. Fine. Um, the scenes with Udo Kier, where you know he's being dubbed because he doesn't never, he's never said a full line of English that nicely before. It's just some weird shit. Like the fact that the uh, the witch, the woman they're playing the witch is, you know, like she's, you know, she's hiding, and the only way they find her, you know, she's actually just like a, a shadow. It's like what the fuck? And like a lot of people love this film, and I just, I just don't get it. Yes, it's nice to look at, but it's, it's not boring. I mean, there are enough stuff in the film where just like it keeps you occupied for the ninety some odd minutes it's playing, but. <laughs> just overhyped man everybody i knew who used to tell me about it they're like eh. and it took me a while it took me actually another two years to get back into argento and somebody lent me a, a copy of deep red and that totally changed my mind about argento and i actually went back and watched a lot of his other films and i've actually completely been turned back on argento over the last 10 years you know with a lot of his films i mean not a lot of the stuff he's doing now <laughs> um even though the masters of horror stuff he did was proper, really good stuff, but like Mother of Tears is dreadful. Giallo is dreadful if you've ever seen that. You really shouldn't check it out. Do you like Hitchcock is good? That's 2005. I'm just going to tell you guys that he's hit or miss from the 90s on. Let me see if I can really check this out. As a director, the last good film I feel is Two Evil Eyes with, uh, with Romero, and then every other film after that is kind of are really on the fence, you know? If you're really, if you want to really be annoyed by a film, go check out Giallo or Mother of Tears. Those will just be like, "What were you fucking thinking?" And it's like you really just want to make him give up the ghost. You know what I mean? But a lot, he did a lot of great films in the '70s and '80s. They just kick ass. Is that pretty much all my opinions on Mr. Argento and his work? Uh, I think so. <laughs> um, like I said, I hope you guys continue a good, a good faith and a good wealth and whatnot. I hope the. Uh, the film festival goes well because I'm not going to be able to make it. Very sad. Um, I hope you're all doing well. Um, and congratulations on a 50, and I hope another 50 more. I hope another 100 more. I just really hope you guys continue your, and prosper very well. So that's it for me, Vaughn. That's all I kind of say. Ciao. All right. Thanks, Vaughn. So I, I, you're right, man. There was not nearly enough boobs for a ballet school. No. Gosh. What was up with that? I don't know, man. There That's the kind of movie, had I watched it as a child, as a, you know, pube, three o'clock in the morning on Showtime, I would have got through the whole thing and seen no boobs and, and been terribly <laughs> yeah, disappointed. I mean, there had to be a locker room in that place, but we didn't see any evidence of it. There was a pool. They had a yeah. pool, for Christ's sakes. Well, there, there is, a, I guess, the, the like he mentioned, the movies Tenebrae and Deep Red are supposed to be... Like, I guess, some of Argento's best. So I think those are a couple that I'm going to look for next. You do that. I will. All right. So let's uh, jump on to Filthy Jokes. Filthy Jokes. Filthy Jokes. Who's starting? I can start. I got a quick one this week. All right. What did the seven dwarfs say when Prince Charming kissed Snow White to wake her up? I give up. Guess it's back to jerking off, boys. (laughs) Oh, shit. Wow. Speaking of rape. Sorry, Gord. Was that a little too dead girl for you? (laughs) You're not right in the head. (laughs) So this guy walks into a bar, and an old drunk is sitting there with a shoebox on the stool next to him. The guy goes, so uh, what's in the box? And the older guy says, matter-of-factly, 
South American blowjob toad. <laughs> Guy looks around, he goes, South American blowjob toad? Can I try it? The older guy just nods, so guy grabs the box and he goes into the men's room. He returns 20 minutes later, just stumbling out, spent. He goes, that was amazing. You've got to sell this to me. <laughs> so the old drunk and him, they negotiate for a while, and they agree on a, an appropriate sum. And that, that happy guy grabs the, the box, and he takes it home and, and meets his wife at the door. And, and she's just, as usual, where the hell have you been? What's in the box? She demands. He goes, South American blowjob toad. <laughs> so, says the wife, so teach it to cook and get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Go ahead, Lewis. What you well got? Uh, interesting enough, uh, South American blowjob toad is the newest album from Beck. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't doubt. You know, it's, I don't really know filthy jokes. I just know, like, mostly racist jokes. The uh, uh, my brother, I'm Mexican, and my brother's Mexican, of course. So we always uh, <laughs> funny how that uh, worked out. <laughs> yeah, so we always tell each other Mexican jokes, and the latest that uh, he told me was, uh, "Why do uh, why are Mexicans' eyes always red?" Why is that? From the pepper spray. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucked up. Oh, all right. Well, well played. But don't sir. repeat that because that's racist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, See, you can the... you can tell that joke. I can we, tell it, but we can't tell I'm, that I'm, joke. I'm documenting my people. I'm like Carlos Mencia. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we got nothing <laughs> except for dicks, evidently, because that's yeah, all you tell is dick jokes. So. <laughs> I really want to write a reggae song called South American Blowjob Frog. You should now. That's fantastic. South American Blowjob Frog. In the you out- come on down to choke on my hog. <laughs> Do it in the outlaw children's music style, though, that you've been <laughs> cultivating. So the thing that's a real that's a real uh, career I'm planning on. I really want to do children's music. I have to so I'm, I guess like I got to quit with the rape jokes now. <laughs> children's rape songs not so very big outside of the Catholic Church. <laughs> Parents don't. <laughs> Parents don't like it when they find out they're the singer they're kids are listening to makes plenty of jokes about rape <laughs> no they're but kind the of touchy about that the exception of the wiggles of course yes <laughs> that was we're well-known rapists <laughs> well that one song what fruit salad that just seems to me just a <laughs> little bit you were you were guys you guys ever just like sat back and just picture like what the wiggles must look like when they're having sex <laughs> <laughs> no i have not I, and i've seen the wiggles live too uh, <laughs> I mean, can you just imagine, like, oh, I'm going to blow me load. <laughs> oh, I want to come all over your teats. Fruit salad. Yummy, yummy. <laughs> they, that was the reason salad. why they call us the Wiggles. Because <laughs> the jizzles was taken. Tie me big boner down, sport. <laughs> Sorry, didn't get you, Gord. That was funny. I grinned. <laughs> I saw that. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us tonight, Lewis. Are we done already? Yeah. I, I God, swear you sound like, like my wife. Been... <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's get that she says get done already. <laughs> I really feel like I've only been here for ten minutes, and we spent like an hour and a half with I mean... technical issues. <laughs> you know, just keep fucking around. How do I save? <laughs> all, I, all, I, all I heard was, uh, "Hold on, uh, uh, you're like you're like a guy." who uh, picks up a guitar at a party and you want to play a song, which like, uh, hold on, uh, hold on, uh, hold on. I know this one. Wait, hold on. I got to tune this. 
Huh. <laughs> also, I'd like to say thank you to Lester T. Raw and the Pine Box Boys for letting us play your music this week. It was great to listen to some of the new tunes, and uh, you can check them out at pineboxboys.com. Uh, pick up a CD today. You can get it through the links on the Bone Bat page. As we always say, support independent music. Our usual bullshit, the show phone number is 425-296-6557. Feel free to call us anytime or email to steve at bonehand.com. I have new content on bonehand.com every Sunday, including the Heavy Half Hour, or my metal show on non-Bone Bat Weeks. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm Bonehand there. Or we have a Bone Bat show feed you can follow as well. And you can find my work on Mighty Wombat. Dot com, a new cartoon once a week, usually about Thursday. Various Blather. Uh, Blather will be continually updated, especially with old DavisLifeMagazine.com columns. Uh, I just put a classic uh, Blather back up on my site. You can read about the time I got locked out of my house naked in the afternoon. True story <laughs> of what happened when that happened. I will say this about uh, Gord. Mighty Wombat. I pitched a couple of days ago. I pitched him a idea for a it's cartoon. True. You like to keep it timely, always timely. <laughs> I try. Uh, I try. He rejected my uh, "Where's the Beef, Geraldine Ferraro?" idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what? We master that time machine. I'm going back in time. I'm totally doing that one. It's, it's going to be hot. Uh, what else? You can follow me at Mighty underscore Wombat on Twitter. Where can we find your magic, Lewis? Uh, LewisFowler.com L-O-U-I-S-F-O-W-L-E-R.com I do a radio show called Damaged Hearing uh, Tuesdays on uh, KRFC-FM uh, that's, and it streams online KRFC-FM.org uh, You know, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, just type in Lewis Fowler, L-O-U-I-S-F-O-W-L-E-R and look for the fat bearded guy. One other thing, I've been trying to pitch this everywhere I've been going uh yeah you guys know casey criswell right absolutely From yeah bloody good horror yeah and cinema fromage him and i are teaming with rod lot of bookgasm.com and we're uh publishing a uh, anthology called mondo sasquatch oh, is cool. a collection of uh bigfoot be uh you know really trashy bigfoot stories and we are needing uh submissions so just go to google type in mondo sasquatch and any one of our pages with the uh, submission info will come up and we'd love if there's any writers out there who uh have a kick-ass bigfoot story in them uh we'd like for you to uh spray it all over the page well that's right in our wheelhouse here in the northwest so hopefully yeah. we can get you some submissions man Fantastic. now i have that uh, that sasquatch cartoon i put out a couple weeks ago or you know you know what they say about guys with big feet uh, i'm no. sorry gord uh lewis no? is trying to keep it timely Damn. <laughs> that was funny about 40 years ago. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so, Steve, we're going to have a film fest. And do we have any sponsors? <laughs> the film fest, of course. Uh, tickets are on sale now for the September 2nd event. I hope you can make it, Lewis. I'm definitely trying. It's on my list. I have uh, two events I'm doing in uh, September. So, I think I'm going to. Uh, take a plane out to uh, the film fest, crash on uh, one of you guys' uh, couches, and uh, then head on back down to Texas to go to uh, bash at the uh, Lone Star Brewery. So that's my birthday month, so 
Hopefully, I'll get what I want for my birthday, Holy which is right on. Uh, Bone Bat Film Festival and uh, some Texas tornadoes at a uh, Lone Star Brewery. Well, we've got, we're just about, uh, right now we're in the middle of our judging process, so we're watching a lot of films. About a week away from announcing uh, our official selections for the fest, so we've got some big news coming up. Uh, of course, we're going to have uh, Barefoot Barnacle playing a live set during the evening's event. And uh, also, we've got a bunch of great prizes from sponsors like Scarecrow Video, Comic Stop, Stalker Farms Field of Screams. Uh, did I say Games and Gizmos? Games Not and yet. Gizmos. Uh, also, Flying Saucer Pizza will be serving up some great pies there. Mac and Jack's Brewery. And uh, Indie Flicks uh, is going to be kicking off pretty soon the Play-In Film Festival to get yourself onto the bill. So we've got a lot of fantastic stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Did you guys uh, watch my submission yet? I don't think I got that. Was it the, uh, the Geraldine oh, Ferraro short? It's a very yeah, it's a real short. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, let's just say it's a solo outing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to. It. All right, folks. Well, thank you for listening uh, tonight. We're uh, closing out with the song "The Pallbearers" from 2008's "Child of Calamity." Once again, thank you for listening. This is Steve. This is Gord. And uh, this is Lewis. Have a good one. We got great ones. We're the Pine Box Boys. We want to thank you folks for listening. We also want to thank our sponsors, Hollands and Hollands Mortuary Services. As they tell you, we'll be the last ones to let you down. It's an honor for me and the rest of the boys. We'll put this one down as bittersweet joy. We'll take it like men, but we're humbled and small. That you would entrust us to bear your paw. Steps to a slow gospel song. It ain't that you're heavy, it's just that you're gone. And we'll take it like men, like we know that we should. Because if we couldn't save you, no
Yeah, I actually had marshmallow fluff delivered to my house tonight. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you even do that? It's it's a miracle of the internet. Are you Doorbell like- rings. I was changing my clothes because I just got out of the pool. And so I like I, I was naked. The doorbell rings. I grab a pair of shorts. No this, underwear. This sounds, short. this sounds like Walk a movie the I saw There's once. a box of marshmallow fluff waiting for me. To be uh, fair, though, uh, marshmallow fluff is the male escort's nickname. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. All right. Well, let's not waste all this comedy gold on our pant legs. <laughs> oh, were, were, were we not recording that? Oh, we were recording it, but I was just playing with the all the settings. Okay, because I, I didn't want I didn't want that comic gold right there to go to waste. <laughs> Steve just he does this thing where he's like, "Oh, I'm just doing the setting some levels," and so we start talking, and I say something really embarrassing or something incredibly personal, and he's recording, and I forget, and then at the end of the show, he like drops that in. It's like the last little hit where I go, "Yeah, I've got cray pubic hair," and then <laughs> shit. Yeah, I do that. 